One day, a woman came to my school. When she was my age, a long, long time ago, she was the most famous girl in the whole wide world. Sir, will you make sure this boy here asks uh, good questions? No messing now, right? That's okay. Yeah. Round up the other lads, will you? What time is it? What time is it? Back in the days of black and white, when there was no colour in the world, she lived a life like a fairy tale. She was Snow White, Cinderella, and Goldilocks. The fearless Frankie McDonald, the sorcerer's apprentice, the voice of truth. Brennan's bread! Today's bread today! Hey, 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 hey. Is there messing here, sir, already? Frankie is. Frankie's messing. Out he goes. Are you messing? Do you want to go out? Or then behave yourself? No. Okay, come on outside. No, I'm joking. Well, stop joking. Okay, where was I? Oh, yeah. That day, we waited and waited. We talked about Burger King, Hollywood, and the princess. If she went to Trio Fame, it might have been scary at first because, you know, being crowded, and she'd be like, everyone would be like, oh, give me an autograph here. She'd be like, hey. She would have got loads of friends. She'd be rich. She'd probably have a baby, and her life would be perfect. Why would you want to leave your friends for fame? Why? why? The only thing you need is friends and family. Maybe a bit of wealth, because you know, you need to live. <laughs> you would know a lot of people who would be in like films, and you'd know, you'd know lots of actors and actresses. And you know what I've always, always wanted to do? I've always wanted a trip to Hollywood and sit on the hedge. And, um, and it would be great, because you know loads of people, and um, there's loads of probably gift shop you could give to your friends. And uh oh, here she comes. There you are, a bunch of layabouts, <laughs> not doing anything, sitting in a room, gonna watch the movies. Oh, how old are you, sir? Eight, nine. Nine. Do you realize I was working for uh, eight and a half years by that time? I never even knew about you. <laughs> I don't blame you. I didn't know about me either. <laughs> I'm one of those sneaky people. But I can see by all those freckles that you're one of those, uh, those eyelashes. I could kill you. I never had nice eyelashes like that. Well, I'm going to uh, be a famous actor when I grow up. I'm you gonna, are? Yeah, I'm going to be a writer because I've already wrote a few stories. And I'm going to be a singer because I have a great voice. Oh! And I sang in... <laughs> and I forgot to tell oh. her how shy I am. Yeah, but there's one thing you do. You send your poor parents out to work every day. Mm. Every day you send them off. Mm. And just think, at your age, my mother was fast becoming used to a lifestyle that I was providing for her, <laughs> working. 
when I was very small, and we were in a bus, or we were in a streetcar, I would walk along and I would size up the different young men, gentlemen in the streetcar, and I might take a look at you and think you were nice looking, and I'd put my little arms up and you couldn't resist me. You'd pick me up and put you on your knee and start talking to me and everything, and I'd look over your shoulder and say, Mama, Mama, he'd make a good daddy for us. And that got my seat warmed many times. <laughs> My father told, said to my mother when I was five months old, and she had me all bonneted and ready to go, he said, if you take her down and put her in the movies, I won't be here when you get back. And Mama, who was uh, quite sure she could wrap anybody around her finger, particularly if he was a man, and she was so little and cute and pretty, she thought that he didn't mean what he said, and he did. She came back and he was gone, and that was the end of my father. I never knew. I, in my book, you'll see a picture of my father. That's the only one I have. It's not very big or revealing. It's about the size of a fly's eye. And that was only sent to me after she died by somebody that had evidently been one of the people who was drilling the well with him. No, she never said. I know we were in a movie in uh, Los Angeles. We were in a theater. We came out of the movie, and this fellow comes over and says, Oh, hello, Dorothy, how are you? And my mother took one look at him, and she grabbed my hand and ran away. He says, But, 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 uh, how, how, how is, uh, Rollin? How is Rollin? Well, that's my father's name. And I think that that might have been the person who sent me the, the postcard of the picture of us, of them up at the, I'm in it too, I'm in my mother's tummy in the picture. My, my uh, father's name was uh, Rollin Philip Levesque, and when my, I guess I was six months old, she, my mother went to a, a judge, and her name was Dorothy Darling Hamilton, and she had it changed to Dorothy Hamilton Darling. And my name is legally Jean Darling since I was six months old, so I don't know why anybody worries about my the, my father's name. That's why I was looking up the name LeVake in, in the telephone directory, hoping to find him, but I didn't. Are you all going to be quiet for a minute so I can say something intelligent? He gave it to Jack Conley. I don't know how intelligent it is, but you are now going to see me at my flirtatious best, seven years old, and I'm really, I've got curls all over my head, and I'm really going to put these uh, little fat boys, two little fat boys are gonna fight over me. And you'll see what happens when they fight over me. Wow. No wonder she is a hottie. Oh, thank you, thank you. Miss Darling, was in The Little Rascals. It was a gang of kids who had their own show. It was the biggest show in the whole wide world. Good morning, guys. That's her there. Yeah, I'm thirsty. I wish I had a 
Crackheads had a fight over Miss Darling, and every time they ran, their underpants fell down, and they fell over, and then they... See, Mama, if I tell you about Mama, I can't tell you about her because it's mean. Because, you see, Mama never was a... a she never had a chance. Um, my grandfather, I told you, he was a producer, and so Mama grew up in hotel rooms with her father and a, a governess and a tutor. And I don't think she knew there were such things as children. Her mother died when she was uh, three from Bright's disease. And all Mama could remember was how big her ankles swelled. And so she was so afraid that she would die of Bright's disease that all her life she bound her ankles. And I still cannot understand how she felt that binding her ankles was going to do anything to save her from a kidney disease, but Mama bound her ankles because she was so fixated, excuse me, by my mother, by her mother. But she never was a child. She never learned to cope. She never was among people. And then her father died. Her father died uh, during the influenza thing. And when he died, there she was absolutely didn't know what to do with herself and uh, I don't know I don't know so I can't I can't blame her for anything she did because she didn't know how to do anything like be a people like be amongst people to to uh, I don't know she just did not know how so she did terrible things, but she wasn't, you can't blame her. She just did not know how. She'd uh, threaten me. She was drowning herself always, or she was going to jump out the window if I wasn't good, or there was a horror movie that went, ooh, ooh. And so when the lights were out at night, she'd go, ooh scare the bejesus out of me, you know, stuff like that, Try to make me behave. Uh, but I got my own back at her. Oh, I got my own back. I really did when I was about eight years old. I stamped on her toes, and at one time she didn't have a single toenail on any foot. That shows you what a little rat I was. And then I did just to do something else to her that was pretty horrible. Uh, I told you she'd had her face lifted when she was 25 or 6 or something. And he'd sewed, they'd sewed her lobes of her ears in, and she had little lines around here where they'd sewed it in. And so she wore little earmuffs, her hair and little braided earmuffs. And so when I was mad at her, I'd pick up her hair like this from behind and say, See Mama's hair stitching, hem stitching. See Mama's hem stitching. This got her very mad. Oh, I did mean things. Oh, I was mean. I got mad at her. And she would, oh, she left us once. She left my with the dog. She went away, and I came home, and I couldn't get in the house, and I went in the window, in through the window. And she was gone for three days. I was 12, I think. I went across the street to the grocery store, and uh, I asked the man there if, if uh, I could uh, have a slate, run up a bill. And he said, yes, because he knew me. I lived across the street. I wasn't going far. I went to the bank, and uh, the Citizen National Bank, 
And I said, Mama left me, is, is, isn't home now, and I've run out of money. Can I possibly borrow $5? And I borrowed $5 from him. He gave it to me. I say I've never borrowed money, but that was a different situation. I was, what, I was 12, 11 or 12. And I didn't know I had to feed my dog, and there was no food in the house, so I managed, and I paid it back. The minute my mother got home, I, I said, look, I borrowed money. I have to pay it back. And she was pretty mad at me. She said I shouldn't have done it. And so I took it out of her purse, and I paid it back. And I paid my bill at the grocery store. And the poor man, that poor man, a few weeks, a few months later, he hanged himself because he was going out of business. So sad. So many things happened then. It was so sad. I can be happy. I can be sad, I can be good, or I can be bad. Then the fat guy got knocked over, and the other guy got the biggest kick in the butt. <laughs> And you actually caused all this. Yes. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> he just punched you to blame, honey, for what I do. Well, I wasn't very uh, conscious about my first day. I was six months old. Uh, first thing I do remember, though, as a part in a movie, if you want to call it that, it was, it was I was about a year and a half old, and I was sitting on a counter, and uh, I was told to say, spank the baby, because there was a little baby crying. And so I said, spank the baby, and then the card came up saying, spank the baby, and that was my first job. Coped all right. I was earning earning money. I was working. I did bit parts in various pictures. I don't remember which ones. I did little bits here and little bits there. And my mother did uh, a little bit still on the screen. Uh, you see, we knew a lot of people that were a very uh, good to know, and you could get a. They would call you up and like Freddie Dadick, he was a, a casting director at Paramount and Cecil B. DeMille who was pretty big wheel and uh, Eddie Mannix he was the uh, head of uh, the management of our MGM studios we knew a lot of people like that so if there was a, a anything going for a little kid I would get a call and go in and be the little kid well, how I got into our gang was uh, Hal Roach was looking for new kids in the gang because some of them were getting too big, you know, for the kind of roles they were supposed to do, the kind of things they were supposed to do, and they were getting too big. So he ran an ad, a half-page ad in the Hollywood Citizen News saying that uh, there was going to be an open audition for children and Palms. That was a little town across the railroad tracks from uh, Culver City where... Hal Roach Studio is, and everybody in God's earth who had a kid was there. 
Now, my mother got me all gussied up in a, in a black velvet dress with uh, little white kid gloves and a poke bonnet, a little black velvet poke bonnet with ostrich feathers on, I'll have you know. So off we go, and she goes through like a little bulldozer through all these little kids that are practicing and getting spit cleaned, you know, the handkerchief and and, and combed and beautied up to the, to the, for their magnificent audition, and she bulldozed her way right through to the stage where they had the camera and some lights and and uh, the cameraman with his cap on backwards and everything and uh, the director is there and uh, I get they put me up on the stage and suddenly all this noise and all these kids and all this was horrible and I started to cry my arm, eyes right out and anyway Robert McGowan who was the director picked me up and started to comfort me and cuddled me and he had a face full of pockmarks. Now, he hated pockmarks worse than life itself, and nobody dared mention pockmarks in his presence. But me, being a little tactful creature that I was, I stuck my finger in one, stop crying, stuck my finger in one and said, oh, what lovely dimples. Anyway, I got the job. I can save money. Or spend it, go right on living. Or end it, you're to blame, honey. For Miss Darling was in Laurel and Hardy films. She knew everybody. Mae West. Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Gretchen Garbo. But I had one question I never asked her. Well, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? Well, I can't ask him. Did she know Frodo from Lord of the Rings? Well, when I was a kid, I used to read. Uh, see, when I, by the time I was seven or eight years old, I was reading adult books. And I got hooked on a Sax Romer, Fu Manchu, because he had a little marmoset. The marmoset is a tiny little monkey, and I wanted a tiny little monkey. And uh, Miss Partridge was the secretary of Eddie Mannix, who was the head of uh, MGM Studio. He was the studio manager. And she had a pigeonhole desk. And I would sit under the pigeonhole desk and I would read my mystery. It was a lovely place to read. And one day, somebody came in these two legs and then this hand came under the desk and fished me out. And it was Clark Gable who was absolutely horrified at my reading Sax Romer. This is not for little children, he said. And a few weeks later, I was sitting under Miss Partridge's desk reading another Sax Romer when this hand came and fished me out and took me in an adjacent office, sat in the chair, put me on his lap, and took out the blue fairy tale book, and he started to read me fairy tales. And that's a very happy memory. At that time, my mother was doing uh, second leads and when she was about 25 or 30, she got her face lifted because she was getting old. People at that time 
put their kids in show business, not for their children's uh, aggrandizement. They did it for themselves. When it, it, it wasn't Jean on the set or Jean Darling on the set. It's Mrs. Darling on the set with Jean. Mrs. Darling on the set with Jean. Mrs. Darling set with Jean. That's the thing. That's the, the spotlight is on the parent. And then there is something else that is nice. The kids make money. They make good money. And sadly, it was years and years, uh, Jackie Coogan, all my money was gone, all the money I had made in vaudeville and in the movies. My mother did it by, uh, got rid of my money by uh, investing in uh, all of the fortune tellers <laughs> that she could get, come by hands, cups, uh, you, Auras, well, you name it. She she spent money on these and and kooky churches too. She was evidently looking for something. I don't think she ever found it, but it was expensive. It was so expensive that after touring for two years and earning twenty five hundred dollars a week, at that time it was a lot of money. Uh, it was sort of like if you earned now maybe a uh, hundred thousand a week, about the same buying power. And she managed to spend it all so that when we went back to California, we went on a trailways bus. We just had enough money to get back to California because she was busy. I kept every fortune teller in the States. I kept them all in, in luxury, all during a depression. I did it! <laughs> Single-handedly! Then she showed us a movie, Jane Eyre. And boy, was Miss Darling a hottie. But it's very good training to be a little kid then because you, you find out a very important thing. You're either too tall or too short, or too dark or too fair, or too thin, or too fat, or too young, or too old, no matter what you go for. You are all of these things. Well, when I was in New York, there was this little girl, I won't mention her name, but she was about my age, and she was getting in the papers all the time. I don't know, I was 15 or something, 15, 16. And she was in the papers, and she got this part, and she got that part, and Mama was cutting out these all these little notices and handing them to me that I didn't get it. You see, if you'd done this, you could have got it. If you could, you should have. If you'd been in the right place, if you'd tried harder. And then one day, there was a big headline on the paper that this little girl had killed herself. And I was delighted. I was absolutely delighted because my mother couldn't show me any more clippings saying how I had failed. She couldn't show me this anymore every day, holding this little girl up to me as, a, as the uh, epitome of what I should be doing. 
of how I had failed her, of how I had become, I hadn't done all the things I should do. Of course, I felt terribly about it later. But for that moment, it was a triumph that she had, suddenly my mother, maybe my mother would understand that, that this wasn't the way to, to force a career on anybody or to keep plugging away at you and keep nagging at you and showing you somebody else that's better than you are, that's prettier than you are, that's taller than you are, that's getting better parts than you are, that's making more money than you are and doing all the things that you ought to be doing. Naturally, for years after that, I felt very guilty and ashamed of myself, but right for that moment when I read that, I brought the paper in in triumph to show my mother what she could do to me if she didn't stop. Jean has very kindly agreed to come to the school here today and she's going to ask, answer any questions that you might have about her life then and the kind of life she had and the people she makes. Then we got to ask questions. To Some were good. And the excitement of the times and what was it like to be a big star? When you were a baby, when you were six months old, how were you picked to be in the movie? Um, how did you go to school? If you hadn't been an actor, what do you think your job would have been? Uh, what was your favourite movie or uh, programme that you did? Uh, well, uh, one of the favourite things we have to go... till I'm a grown-up, I think one of the favourite things I did was when I was in Carousel on Broadway. Well, my gang is all dead. I'm the only one above ground. Uh, well, Darla Jean died of cancer. Darla Hood, that was after me. Uh, Weezer, the teeny-weeny little boy, he died in, a, in an airplane, a cadet accident, when he was about 20. Uh, Chubby, who took Joe Cobb's place, died of some horrible disease that he got because his family had stuffed him like a Strasbourg goose to get the, the part, and he died at 18. He made 18 movies. Uh, William Blake is, was acquitted of killing his wife. He was after me. Uh, oh, Alfalfa was shot, I think, was it he was a he shot? And Scotty Beckett, who was in the gang, they both died uh, in some kind of crime thing. Um, Farina was a dope addict. He was the little black boy with rags in his hair. He, he was a dope addict, and he, when he, he uh, went through rehab, and then he became a counselor, and he's dead. Joe Cobb died a couple of years ago. But the other ones did not have the brains that I had to get out. Uh, and they stayed there. And you stay there, and you stay there, and you wait, and you try to get something, and your old hat, nobody's interested in you anymore. And they say, oh, my God, are they still around? Oh, for heaven's sake, oh, no, oh, no. And they don't get called for interviews. And they become discouraged, and they become bitter, and they become resentful because they're never going to get back because they, because like so many prodigies, a child prodigy will have an appeal or a certain talent when they're small. But when they grow up, the talent was so small 
that that it doesn't it doesn't work with a grown-up person. Only because they were five years old was it magnificent that they could play the flute. But when they get to be uh, 25 years old and are going beep, boop, boop, this is no longer anything that's of interest to anybody. And they'd wait out there and wait out there and they'd become bitter and then they would uh, take narcotics or they would go and uh, get in with the wrong people and they might not have money and they borrow money. And then, like, I think it was uh, Alfalfa was shot in a parking lot, something like that, over a $50 loan or $50. Oh, and a ridiculous thing like that. Darla Jean, I was always sad about Darla because she went on, she, was, uh, she did something for Chicken of the Sea Tuna, an ad, and that was so important that she writes about it in her biography, you know, little biographical notes. She was the voice of Chicken of the Sea Tuna. But she wasn't really. She was just one of the backing group of the Chicken of the Sea tuna. She was one of the tunas. And I think that's so sad that when you write what you've done with your life, that you write you did Chicken of the Sea tuna ads. Some questions were really good. Uh which did you like more, living in Ireland or Hollywood? And what was the real difference of living in the two places? At the moment, uh, well, you're Jean Darling, but it says here you were born Dorothy Jean DeVake. Um, did you like all um all the attention from being a Hollywood from being a Hollywood star? Did you ever get uh, really nervous in front of live stages? What year to what, what year did you move to Ireland, and what, you, and what did you do up until now? My husband was a magician, and we played the Olympia Theatre in, I guess, 1967, or Easter. And then we were in and out of Ireland quite much, but I came, I lived here in 1974, but it was really 1975 because it was Christmas, so, I mean, there was just a little snip left of 74. So I've been here since then. What was bigger in acting? Was it like your uh, adult adult star or was it your child star? And some questions were brilliant! Um, so, uh, what's it like to be famous? You are a perpetual question box. <laughs> Why, thank you. Um, how, how, what, like, um, um, when you got paid, like, what was, what, what, like, let's say if, um, what would you, uh, like to be, like, would you, would you ever want to not be, not paid? Like, this is a very weird question. Um, like, let's say one day, right, you didn't, you didn't have enough money, you didn't have anywhere to put your money, right? So you didn't want to get paid. Did that ever happen? <laughs> that happened not to me, but it happened to a great deal of people. Were your parents, right? Were they with you? Like, were they with you to Hollywood? And if they weren't, what did it feel like? Was it sad if they were gone?
My mother was in California. She would not speak to him on the telephone when we got married. When I had a baby, I had a baby boy, and she sent me a card congratulating me on my girl. She decided then, I had been supporting her, of course, all my life, and I had been supporting her, and she decided she was going to disappear, and she disappeared. And I was left with lots of bills, and uh, she disappeared. So, several, oh, I don't know how long passed, because it was, he was about four, three and a half. The knock comes at the door, of, and a knock came at the door, and it was these two big, huge, official-looking men. One was from the postal department, and the other was a policeman, asking me why I had not written my mother. I said, how can I write her? I don't know where she is. And so I finally convinced them that I didn't know where in the world she was or what her address was or anything. And then they said, do you mind if we tell them where you are? I said, no, of course not. For heaven's sake, tell me. I said, where, where, uh, give me her address and you can give her my address, whatever. And I started getting letters from her then. Nothing on them except lists of what she had there in trunks that belonged to me. And then I got a telephone call. I think I was, uh, I think we had moved by then, and we were on 72nd Street when I got the telephone call. That she was in the hospital from, with uh, an aneurysm, she did a, a cerebral thing. And I was going to go, and then by the time I decided to go, she was dead. So I didn't go. I didn't see much point in going to California and leaving my baby and everything and my four-year-old son and going to California because she was already dead. What good is this going to do? I know a lot of people will think I'm horrible, but I didn't go, but I didn't. And so she was cremated and she's in a little jar sitting there waiting until I, if I ever go back to California, I will go and see her. I don't know why this does, but, uh, and it was funny. It was funny. The only person who was sorry that she was dead was Stanny Laurel, because he fancied her so, and so he was sorry she died. Everybody else said she, who knew my mother, was a pushy little woman, and she, they, uh, a lot of them said that she'd waited too long to exit. <laughs> so anyway, she died, and that was the end of that. And so I got my trunks that were all full of all these lists of things. And when they came, the two trunks, they were full of waste paper and trash and old boxes. Wherever she was had raided them and there was nothing worth anything in them. They stole everything. And, and uh, I found out also she had been married and divorced while she was disappeared. And she'd been married and divorced. She got married somewhere or other, and she got divorced in Mexico. I have the paper somewhere in Spanish. I don't know. And do you know where in California your mother's remains are now? Yeah, they're in Los Angeles. They're in Los Angeles. And uh, I don't know. I can ask the Toyans exactly where they are. They're some friends of mine. I can ask the Toyans. They know where she is. Uh they know where she is, so there's no problem there. 
no, we'll start it this way. We'll go me. Yes, Dara. I'm first on this one. What? Dara. D-A-R-A-G. D-A-R-A. Dara. 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 Oh, okay. Miss Dara gave us all autographs. I got two. One for my autograph and one with her photo. Darling or Dish? Darling. Darling. To Carl, have fun always. Jean Darling. Argan. Argan, yeah, Argan. 7th of November, 2006. Carl, quickly. Rules. Little star gleaming up Three disappearances. When you wear glasses, you're, you're virtually not there. Nobody looks at you, you disappear. When you have a dog or a baby, you become merely an answering machine. They don't see you at all. Oh, what a cute, oh, how old is he? Is he boy or a girl? What kind of a dog is it? Oh, what's his name? You know, you become invisible, and then you become invisible when you're old. Completely invisible. People don't look at you. They don't know what you look like because they don't look at you anymore. They because to them you are a kind of a hideous portent of what is coming for them. Perhaps their future. So they don't waste time looking at you. But that's the three times in your life you disappear. I've always longed for love. Certainly. I've always had a big, huge hole inside me because I didn't have a father. I've always, uh, certainly, oh, I so I go to, I just think I go to Holland and they give you a kiss on each cheek. Three times you get kissed. That's lovely. Oh, yes. I love to be fussed over and petted and hugged. I love that. I think that's lovely. I love to be petted and hugged and made a fuss over. Of course. Of course. But you don't always get what you want. And so, for what? I hug my dog. He lets me hug him. I had a very sweet little dog. No, I've always been of a very happy disposition, enjoyed what I had when I had it. And... I'm very happy I wake up in the morning and just think every day could be wonderful. Uh, when you're in a show, everybody walks around with their face upside down. Don't talk to me. I haven't had my coffee. They all hated me because I always wake up and I'm happy. Always have been. I'm peculiar. Uh, for a female, I hate shopping. I never shaved my legs. I've never been lonely. I've never uh, been homesick for anywhere. I can't stay angry for more than two minutes because I forget what I was mad at in the first place, and I don't hold grudges. So you see, I'm, oh, did I say I never shaved my legs? I guess I did. So there's something definitely wrong with me. You see, I mean, when you, when you get right down to the nitty-gritty, there's got to be something wrong with me. (laughs) 
So, well done. And I think we should give Jean what? A big round of applause. should applaud you because you all had such good questions. Especially me. Oh, we couldn't shut you yeah. up, Frankie. Oh. <laughs> say say goodbye to Mrs. Boyle. Say thank you very much. Oh, Jean, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Come on, give me a kiss. Come on, give me a kiss. Come on. Come on. I got a good cheek here. Come on. Come on. You want me to give me a kiss? Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You gotta be a forfeit. Then she gave every boy a kiss, but one boy escaped. He just said goodbye and ran out the door. Oh, you almost escaped. Come on. Goodbye, thank you. <laughs> scaredy cat, scaredy cat. That's it. I used to Hollywood. If I was like that, a kid in Hollywood, I would never want to grow up. Oh. <laughs>